Hello, and welcome to the Mirror Stage Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge that we're on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish people, past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish tribe. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Mirror Stage Podcast. Kiki here. My pronouns are they, them. And I'm Ty. My pronouns are he, him. And we at Mirror Stage are a multidisciplinary performing arts company working in the Pacific Northwest. Here at Mirror Stage, we use the power of storytelling to challenge assumptions, bias and prejudice, increasing equity and inclusion while encouraging more thoughtful reflection on today's issues. All right. So today, everyone, the topic of our show is Vivian Phillips. So Vivian Phillips is a communications professional and arts leader. Her founding of Art Noir in 2021 stemmed from her decades of working with numerous local, national, and international arts organizations, artists, students of the arts, and travels to the African continent. In addition to the online monthly publication, Art Noir at Midtown Square provides a physical space to celebrate the soulfulness and power of Black art and culture. As an arts consultant, the opportunity to lead the art plan for Midtown Square evolved into the development of the physical space, which Art Noir will own and provide exposure to the richness of Black art in perpetuity. Located in the heart of Seattle's historic Black community where Vivian was raised and where she continues to live, Art Noir also fulfills another dream of creating a consistent revenue stream to Black artists through the sale of Black-created arts and goods. Vivian's professional history includes service as the Director of Communications for a Seattle Mayor, Director of Marketing and Communications for Seattle Theatre Group, Theatre Group Restoration Team, Associate Director for the Paramount Theatre, Seattle University Adjunct Professor, MFA Arts Leadership, Television, Radio, and Live Performance Producing, Public Speaking, and Numerous Arts and Strategic Communications Projects. She served as the chair for both the Seattle Arts Commission and for Culture and co-founder of the Hansberry Project and the historic Central Area Arts and Cultural District. Vivian serves as Art Noir founder and board president and is also the co-host of the Double Exposure podcast with Marcy Silman, exploring how culture and creativity shape our lives while also serving on the University of Washington Foundation Board. So you're going to hear a lot from her and some from us. Please enjoy our interview with Vivian. So welcome and we're going to go ahead and start off. Will you please introduce yourself to our audience with your name and your pronouns? Sure. Uh, The name is Vivian Phillips and my most prominent pronoun is auntie, um, but I go by she, her as well. Nice. Thank you for joining us, Auntie Vivian. If you can, please tell us what does storytelling mean to you? Oh, storytelling. It's a great question. And coming from uh, an ethnic background where the griot tradition is very strong, it is the ultimate important thing. It's the stories of our elders that we get told, and they provide us with a sense of who we are, where we came from, who we are in the world, and illustrates the beauty of our lineage, I think. Um, And particularly, it's important to me right now because we're, you know, in a place where stories are being rewritten consistently, daily. 
um, and our history as uh, individuals of African descent, when we think about the fact that we were disallowed at some point in our existence in America for a very long time to read and write, then the oral storytelling tradition becomes even more significant and important to maintain. So it's very, very important to me. Nice. I completely agree, Vivian, especially with how you mentioned like stories now being erased and this revisionist history trend that's going on. Uh, It is really important that we can hold on to um, the books and the stories of people who remember what it was like during that time. So we don't lose it. Um, And so future generations can be reminded of how not to move backwards. Like it seems uh, like we're doing now. Yes. And it's very important in that tradition to maintain those stories in an oral tradition too, because that's what it was all about, being able to maintain that that deep, deep um, encyclopedic knowledge of where you are, where you're going, where we've all been. And taking that into consideration, what are some of the most important stories or what is a very important story that's had an impact on you? What stories impacted you? You know, I am still unearthing some of those stories that um, uh, will continue to be of ultimate importance to me. But I think one of the stories that that falls into that category is my father's story. My father died when he was 58 years old, so he was pretty young. And I did get an opportunity to experience a lot of life with my father in his native Arkansas home. And a few years ago, I went um, back and did a little bit of research and walked into the, um, it's the library, but it's also the center for, um, oh God, why am I losing historical data? But, you know, genealogy, that's the word I'm looking for. And I walked in and, you know, kind of sat down at a computer and put my father's name in and immediately information came up. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I asked um, one of the researchers there if she could help me find a little bit more information. And it was like within a couple of minutes, she kind of pulled up this information about my dad that I did not know. And uh, my father's name was Alonzo Phillips. And she said, do you mean Alonzo L. Phillips? And I went, oh my God, yes. And um, his story that I'm most familiar with is the one of him uh, traveling and migrating from the South to the Pacific Northwest. And that that method of migration was first um, on the railroad where he worked as a Pullman porter. And as I understand it, um, he left Arkansas. He was the youngest in his family of eight individuals. He left Arkansas, got on the train, traveled uh, somewhere from Minneapolis, I think. He got from Arkansas to Minneapolis. And the Empire Builder then moved from Minneapolis to Vancouver, B.C. And Seattle was that stop along the way. And a place where he, you know, became familiar with the community. Eventually moved his family here um, to Seattle, which consisted of my mother and uh, brother. And then three of his six sisters also moved to Seattle. 
And so I'm continuing to unearth this story, learn more and more and more about it. But his story is also my origin story. And I think that that's the part that's most exciting to me. I do know, um, and I'm very proud to say, that I'm the first generation of my family on my both my mother and father's side born outside of the South. I was born in Seattle, but my siblings were born in Arkansas. All of my cousins, you know, everybody my age and older, they all uh, came from the South. And I came from the South, but started here. So um, it is, those are the stories, I will say, that are most intriguing to me and that continue to have the greatest amount of impact on my life. That was very interesting to hear that your dad was a Pullman Porter. I mean, yeah. I just kind of went, wow, you know. And, you know, that story is not so unlike many um, uh, individuals who live here in the Pacific Northwest of African descent. So many of us got here because our parents migrated from the South to the Pacific Northwest in some method. And the other thing about my dad's story too, I just forgot the, the, the thing that most excites me. He became a uh, merchant seaman once he was here in this area. And the fact that my father graduated third grade and traveled the world is something that I um, hold up as a badge of honor as well. Yes, that's that's a wonderful legacy there. So wonderful. Yeah, well, and that I I'm going to ask you now that does connect nicely to our what is your origin story so we can learn a bit more about like coming up in Seattle. But I guess I'm curious too. So then do you get out and about all over the country seeing family and people all around? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, all the time. Um uh, we have uh, family reunions that it's interesting because I think they kind of alternate at this point. My mother's family, um, you know, in one year and my father's family in the alternate year, even if they are not every year. Right. They um, tend to complement one another. So my mother and father were both from Arkansas. And um, I delighted in going to the family reunion and catching up with everyone and doing that little bit of research that I was able to do, um, going to the places that I recall being at uh, and the summers when I got a chance to go and spend there with my uh, relatives and my, my grandfather, my mother's father. And then uh, my mother's side of the family uh, the majority of her brothers, gosh, yet eight brothers, <laughs> hard to, to keep up, but four of them, I think it was, moved to Buffalo, New York uh, from Arkansas, and three of them moved to Detroit. They all found work in the auto industry in both Buffalo and in Detroit and uh, were able to accomplish a middle-class lifestyle through that um, method of employment. And I, again, um, I'm the only member, the first member of my family, I should say, who was born in Seattle. Um, I am a native. I um, lived, was raised in the Central District and have been back here in the CD, living five blocks away from where I was raised for the last 30 years. 
And uh, yeah, I'm a bulldog. <laughs> what else do you say, right? I'm not a husky, but I'm a bulldog. <laughs> for people listening who know, they will know. For folks that don't know, you know, what can I say? <laughs> Well, I'm a bulldog, not that I went to the University of Georgia, but I lived in in Georgia, so bulldog. Then I went to Yale, another bulldog. I'm I'm a Garfield bulldog. I'm a Seattle bulldog. Let me be clear. I thought there was only one bulldog. Oh, no. There's lots of bulldogs all over the place. I know, you know, we, we, we Garfield bulldogs have a tendency to ignore that. <laughs> I'll tell you, my mind did not go sports when you said Husky and Bulldog, because I'm also a Georgia native. So I was, I've was i learned to tune out Bulldogs when I hear They're not saying go dogs how I think they are. So. Yeah. But now I know, ah, oh, Huskies, watch the UW. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I get it. Right, right. Lots of dogs out there. <laughs> yeah, well, now I'm curious. I'm like, Ty, what, what breed of dog do you identify with? <laughs> Probably Pomeranian because I like to be like coddled and, and cuddled and, and adored. Oh. <laughs> but I feel like I'm probably like half Rottweiler too because mm. sometimes it, it just come out, you know, that just comes with being black in America. Oh, uh oh. <laughs> We're not going there. Is that in the end? <laughs> We're not. I think that, that Was question that one of the towards questions? the end Let of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Vivian, please tell us more. Like, what is your origin story? We said born here, raised here. That's it. It's boring. <laughs> like, what else do you want to know? Well, okay. Personally, <laughs> personally, I'm curious on like, what has made you stay in Seattle? Like, what's the what's the pull mm. and I to the Central District and Seattle specifically? Because it can be hard in these streets. It's very hard out here in these streets. Um, thank you for asking that question. Um, and I think it's ultimately important because so often, well, first and foremost, I think, you know, when I was growing up and meeting, you know, cousins and stuff from the South and from the East Coast, they were like, there are Black people in Seattle. Do you live in Alaska? Why don't you look like a prune? Why do you speak that way? You know, it's kind of all of those myths about Blackness and where Blackness exists in the uh, United States. So uh, I'm very proud to be from Seattle. I love my city. I um, I have memories that uh, I get to relive like over and over and over and over again. They can be the most simplistic things or they can be things that are a little bit more complicated from a simplistic point of view. Um, looking at the, the city and its geographic situation between the Cascades and the Olympic mountain range. I mean, those two mountain ranges and the bodies of water, Lake Washington and Puget Sound, where else can you experience that? Where else? And I have traveled the world for the, I mean, there are a lot of places in the world I haven't been, but I've been very fortunate to spend time outside of Seattle and see a lot of the world. There's no place like this place. 
There's just no place like it. Um, and I've, I've traveled to Africa a lot. And while I really love West Africa and, you know, looking out onto the Atlantic Ocean or being in South Africa and seeing the Indian Ocean, all of that, there's no place where I can live where there are green trees like there are here, where the air is as beautiful and clean, where the rain cleans things on a consistent basis. And at any given moment, I can see the most beautiful sunset with the backdrop of the um, Olympic mountain range or see the well, okay, with the backdrop of the Cascade mountain range. I'm curious on like, speak to me. What? Has made you and stay in Seattle. Like, what's the what's the pull? As a child, and looking at Mount Rainier, the Central District, you know, and, and Seattle specifically, because uh, it can be hard the in the streets. She's out today. Why we call Mount Rainier? Yeah. She, I don't know, but she's majestic. <laughs> so I think it's so more geography about art noir and uh, can environment. You, yeah, we just tell that her keeps me here, and as long as airplanes travel. I live here. Nice. Thank you, Vivian. Um, so I want to know who or what inspires you in your work and daily life. You know, you've been in the arts community for a number of years now. And, go ahead and say uh, decades. Just, go ahead and say decades. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to <laughs> put that on you like that. You know, I got to respect my elders. I, I but... heard that hesitancy in there. <laughs> and then he says respect his elders. Okay, well, what? <laughs> Well, I consider Kiki an elder as well. You know, anybody older than me is my elder who I can learn. I can learn from anybody, but anybody who I look up to and can learn from, uh, I consider an elder. But uh, yeah, who or what inspires you in uh, your work in daily life? There is no greater inspiration in my life than my children and my grandchildren. Every time I interact with them, I am inspired. I'm inspired by the fact that, you know, these humans are good people and that I had the honor of being a steward to these incredible humans. And they're just good people. And then I have two grandsons who, um, you know, they're, they're 20 and 25. And if I could, I would still chew their food for them. But, but, you know, that's not really cool anymore. But um, these are just beautiful people, and I'm inspired by them. I know that there are, um, that humanity has a heart. That's so wonderful. I mean, listening to what you just said, I know that you are one of those wonderful lifelong learners, and learning from your grandchildren and your children is just a beautiful thing, especially when you're the kind of adult that you are, that you, you realize you are learning from them. <laughs> you know, you're not just teaching them, but you are learning with them and from them. And in, with that in mind, how have you seen the arts scene in Seattle change over the years? And you've been a part of that change. So I know you have a lot of uh, foundational things to say about how it's changed over the last 40 years and the impact it's had on the community. I think that Art Noir is going to have and is having a great impact on the community. I've only been in there about three times, but it's a fabulous <laughs> place. <laughs> You've Thank never you. been in there Keep when I've coming. been there. 
I know I don't work there, which is a blessing for the organization. Uh, yeah, um, I could say more about that, but um, having been involved in the arts community and just being a citizen of uh, this community for a very long time, I think that the arts has experienced oh, a lot of, you know, kind of hills and valleys. You know, we mark 1962 as the beginning of the arts explosion in the city of Seattle, because that's when the World's Fair happened. And upon the the execution of the World's Fair, or the after it was over, that's how we got so many of those art spaces at Seattle Center. So when we look at the course of time between 1962 and 2024, what we saw early on was a lot of what I think a lot of inspiration, you know, a lot of new arts organizations, particularly theaters sprung up. You know, we got Black Arts West out of the 60s. We got Paul Robeson Theater. We got the group theater. There was so much energy and creativity. And then, you know, you, you, you move along to the early to mid-70s and you start to see things change. And that's because there's a whole lot more um, vocal protest around inequality in our city. And so then we start to see things change. We lost a lot of theaters. We lost a lot of creativity. There was a lot of drain, a lot of talent drain out of Seattle. And, and then we come to the 90s and we start to see this major investment in large arts institutions. Remember, you know, the Seattle Art Museum used to only be at Volunteer Park, but now it's downtown Seattle. It's a major arts institution. You got the Olympic Sculpture Park. We've got McCall Hall. You know, there are all of these things. And now we have Climate Pledge Arena at Seattle Center. You go through all of that iteration, right? And I think that um, sometimes it's hard for me to not say or think that Seattle's arts community has devolved, not evolved. And I say that because I don't think that we have really grasped the power that we have collectively. We tend to um, wag the dog. You know, we're, we're kind of always in this cycle of we don't get enough. We don't have enough. We need more. You know, where are the audiences? It's just like all that, that churn is constant. And I would like to see more of the city of Seattle's investments in the arts match the lip service around how important the arts are. I don't see that happening. We have made some strides. I mean, I think the doors open legislation is going to be a game changer for funding the arts. What I also hope for is more collaboration and connection between the significance and the vitality of community-based arts and higher arts institutions. I, I, I don't want to see this segmenting of our arts community. We all need each other, whether we know it or not. And I think that when we become more clear about our 
our power and more collectively engaged, things will change. So that's my soapbox, <laughs> if you will, about the um, evolution or devolution of the Seattle arts community. Well, that's the whole, what you're doing with art noir and that whole dichotomy between Western thinking and tribal connected communities and how that, how that interconnection is much more vital and there's yeah. not this high and low, but there's this community coming together, weaving fibers together is going to be the way that we survive what we're going into right now, because yeah. we are coming into a set a time where I feel like the fibers are being picked apart. If I use that weaving metaphor again, right. and that we have to start weaving those pieces back together in all of their multiplicities of color and texture and not separating this texture and that texture, but they're together. Yeah. So I, yeah. I do agree with that idea that you just spoke of. I, I, I have long ago become bored with having to say that my story is important too. So I don't say that anymore. It's just a matter of doing, right? And I think that art noir has been, it, it has been the vessel that I have looked for to deposit the wealth of information, connections, relationships that I have been so fortunate and so blessed to develop over the course of many decades in this community, in a national community, and in an international community. And it has always been evident to me that there was not enough focus given to the beauty of Black art and culture. And that's where I wanted to, you know, really kind of plant my flag, if you will. And I've been able to do that throughout my career in many ways, no matter where I worked or what organization I was involved with. You know, I, I'm, uh, I'm dedicated to the arts with a focus on Black arts and culture. And it's okay for me to be that way, you know? I don't have to tell anybody I'm black if they if they haven't noticed. <laughs> you know, I've been black all my life. Um, but with art noir, um, it's been a blessing to be able to not only do an editorial connection to spotlighting black arts and culture throughout the African diaspora, to to be able to bring that into a physical location. And I will tell you that, you know, it is the result of those decades of working in community. And I wanted to have a place where that could be uh, deposited and not just wasted on my little life. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what is the purpose of having experiences if you can't share them and provide something of grace, beauty, and legacy to someone else. And I, I mean, I, 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 would sh I shuddered to think that I spent all that time working in a field. And if I died tomorrow without art noir, it would just be like, oh, that's what she did. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I have I have to say that today when I was going through 
doing more research, um, I was very impressed with um, the links and, and the connections that you had on your website and how you connected to Africa and the art exhibits there and all of the different communities that you have put together on that uh, on your website and connected to Art Noir. And I, I think that is a legacy of your having been a part of so many arts organizations and a marketing person. And you just know how to pull those threads together. Um, so it was very gratifying to me to see that history that, you. that you've put out there, Vivian. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. It's it's really, it's now that you say that it's um, and I just thought of this. It's really kind of how I walk in the world. That's what it is. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to support it and other Mirror Stage programming, you can make a tax-deductible donation via our website, mirrorstage.org, or text Play It Smart to 206-888-6477. That's 206-888-MIRR. So about Art Noir... Can you, yeah, will you just tell our listeners a little bit more about like what, what you, what you have done with it and what, where it has evolved to? Yeah. Um, (laughs) This is, you know, I have to chuckle when I think about it, but art noir is an idea that I literally had for 20 years. And um, (laughs) I was looking at some files today, actually, I was like, Ooh, 1998. Okay. Um, so it, it is that idea of bringing prominence, focus, and spotlighting the soulfulness and beauty of Black art in the African diaspora. That is the primary idea. And um, in May of 2021, I finally, <laughs> I let go of my fears of doing it. I mean, 20, 20, 21 years ago, the internet was not what it is today. And so thinking about how to do it in a a digital format 20 plus years ago was daunting. And I was like, this is just not going to work. Nobody, how am I going to, how am I going to bring people to it? How am I going to get people engaged? All of that. So it came when it was supposed to be birth because the, the, um, the technology um, has advanced to a place that has allowed us to do that. So in Art Noir Online, we do a series of articles that focus on arts leadership. We spotlight a artist or a, a practicing artist of some genre. Um, we look at art in Africa. We have a section called Art Afrique. Um, We have a section that's called Fade to Black that started out as a place where we could pay homage to someone who has has passed on, who is a Black artist, but it has expanded and does some other things now as well. And then we try to give a little bit of uh, prominence to things that are happening locally so that you can pick up, you know, a show or a performance or something like that. So all of that is incorporated into the online publication. In 2019, um, I became engaged with the Midtown Square Project. And my role there was to work with a team who developed the arts plan for Midtown Square. And um, the result of that arts plan brought nine individual artists to the project 
And um, there was a conversation around how could we increase access to Black art at that location? So we went through, you know, a few months of conversation and um, I ultimately agreed to do something that did not feel really great to me because I was like, look, I'm trying to run away from work. And here here I am running into more work. Um, But we agreed to look at a location at Midtown and develop this space where Black art could be made available to the community. Um, as time moved on, um, that conversation developed into the possibility of Art Noir becoming the anchor tenant at Midtown Square. And so we occupy the prominent 23rd and Union location, which is the anchor location in this complex that takes up three quarters of the block. And that is an important block for anybody like me who's from Seattle, who, you know, grew up in the 60s and 70s, because that was where everything happened, right there on 23rd Union. So it worked out to be um, uh, something that I ultimately went forward with, raised the money to do the build out, worked with artists. Uh, my daughter, Jasmine Scott is actually the executive director of the organization. She runs everything and and, um, has been someone that I've worked with since she was a teenager. She, you know, assistant stage managed, stage managed when I was doing productions, you know, mounting shows and stuff. She's worked with me in every aspect of my artistic uh, journey. And she was also the director of programs for Langston, the nonprofit Langston. And um, so she had the relationships with artists that were necessary to actually make this, this, this organization sing. And so what we have now is a 30 to 3,400 square foot location in that, you know, anchor location at 23rd Union. About a thousand square feet of that is dedicated, if not more, dedicated to a state-of-the-art gallery, art gallery. And the um, I guess we have about 1,200 square feet or more um, dedicated to retail space. We have framed in on the backside a recording studio that we will finish the build out on uh, starting next month. And then we've added an additional 200 square but makerspace on the backside as well. So our intention in doing all of that is to create a a couple of things. One is to reclaim space in the Central District and to reclaim it prominently and respectfully and unapologetically. So we've done that. The other thing um, that's really important is that we are a gathering space. We want to be a space where people who look like us can come in and feel pride, proud, comfort, welcomed. All of the things that, you know, you said if you 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 uh, would be a cuddly puppy, you needed some nurturing, right? We want to nurture our community. And so we're able to do that through art and culture there. 
And then all of the products that are sold there that are not specifically Art Noir branded, because we do have a lot of those, but we do collaborations with artists and create products. So you'll find um, things like Blessed and Thankful Candles there that are created specifically for Art Noir. Or you'll find Joey Robinson's art on a produce bag. So we create those, those products with the artists. So there are a lot of those. The thing that makes our business model um, special to me and hopefully to the rest of the community is that all of those products that are in our location that are done with artists, we produce the products. So we come out of pocket up front and do all of the production. 100% of the net proceeds from the sale of those products go into the pockets of the artist. So in 2023, I think we had written somewhere around $80,000 in checks to artists. So we're just not there as a cute place, but we are there as a revenue generator for Black arts as well. So that's the art <laughs> That is incredible. And I, as, as, an, as a Black artist who's not from Seattle, who, like, I've struggled to find community mm-hmm. out here just because, like, I don't live in the city of Seattle either. I live in Linwood, which is not Black at all, for real. Um, and... And just not being okay. Never mind. We'll come back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) just work and my partner in life and everything is just ended up in Linwood. But I worked for Zoomies as a graphic designer. Okay. Um, and they're stationed in Linwood. But just like knowing that you're creating a space where, like, someone like me who I make music, I do art. I'm a fool. Like, if it's creative, I probably do it that I have a space where I can go and don't have to worry about being like, oh, what's, what's, you know, that black boy doing over there? What kind of art is he making? Is it like, is it vulgar? Is it going to be too black? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And especially in a place where there's not that community, you know, it's like, it's just, I'm kind of teary eyed just hearing you talk about it because it's just like, it sounds like a beautiful place. Um, especially that you're focusing on r- revenue, you know, yeah. like it can look pretty and all this, but if I'm an artist and I can't make money, then there is no point in how it looks. That's um, it. And you're really doing something uh, that will change artists' lives. So yeah. I I thank you for your work and I can't wait till uh, we visit Art Noir. Thank so. you. I'm so glad to hear that. I, I mean, you know, if artists don't thrive... They die on the vine. And when I think about the keepers of our culture, they are artists. You know, no matter, no amount of books are going to actually keep our culture and keep it vibrant and alive. The artists do that. I want to add just one other thing um, that we are doing that's new. Um, and we are just embarking on this. And th- I have to give a shout out and thanks to uh, the King County Collaborative Grant Making Process. And they did a, a series of grants under the umbrella of racism as a public health issue. And we were fortunate enough to secure a grant. That grant is supporting a Black artist roster 
that we are developing so that when someone like you comes to Seattle and can't find your community, if you come to us, you'll be able to find your community. It's also um, a tool that I think is ultimately important when it comes to commissioning work. So much stuff happens behind closed doors and conversations. And what I don't want to hear people say is we just can't find a, you know any Black artists. So that roster, it's only Black artists. That's what it's going to be. I mean, I know there are other artist rosters, but we're doing a Black arts roster. And um, a speakers bureau, because if we're going to achieve evolution in the arts, then we have to position ourselves in civic debate. And there is nothing more important to me than to see artists become as important and significant as public works. So if you turn on your water, right, you, you, you rely on public works to do that. We rely on artists to do a lot more, but we don't give that any prominence. And it's important to me that we become proactive and start to insert ourselves into policy and policy debate. So we're doing that too. That's awesome, Vivian. Thank you for sharing everything about Art Noir. Um, now, I want to know a little bit about your podcast. You know, you're on our podcast and we definitely value storytelling. Uh, so tell us about Double Exposure. Oh, Double Exposure. Okay. It's <laughs> literally uh, during the pandemic, Marcy Silman, um, who had been an arts journalist on KUOW for like 35 years, right? We knew each other, but we had never really taken the time. We had worked on a couple of projects together. And so during the the pandemic, it was like, okay, so let's do a Zoom wine thing. I did a lot of those during um, 2020. It was like, let's get on Zoom, get your glass of wine, I'll get mine and let's chat. So we just started talking about, it, it, we, we were both, you know, acutely aware of the fact that arts coverage had been anemic. And with the pandemic, it was on life support, right? And so um, we wanted to do something about that. We wanted to give the arts a voice and give it a voice that was unfiltered, give it a voice that did not rely on uh, advertising, um, give it a voice that was authentic, raw, and pure. And um, so we started talking about, you know, what can we do? Now, we started out thinking about just doing a podcast. Of, and this is Marcy's working title, Two Old Broads Talking Shit. <laughs> right? That's where we started. I hope we can do. Yeah, you can do that on podcasts. That's right. It's not regulated. Um, and I was like, no, Marcy, I think, you know, we should come up with something a little bit more substantial um, than that. And that's really where double exposure uh, got a life. It got a little air pumped into it. Um, I have good friends in a number of places, and we went to a PR agency and said, hey, how do you feel about donating some time and talent to this? Which they did. They helped us develop the whole brand. Um, 
all the website stuff and we got our act together, got our little podcast, you know, equipment. And I got my mic, Marcy got hers. <laughs> and um, that's how it started. And again, you know, thinking about all of the decades of experiences and uh, relationships that I've had, we kind of just went to those people and started asking, would they be guests on the podcast? I am so thrilled about this last season. Um, I don't know if you've taken a look at season three, but the interviews that that are a part of that season are just incredible. Everyone from Keith Bochamp, who is um, behind the movie Till, uh, to Mark Bamuti Joseph, who is one of the most brilliant um, artists and arts purveyors in the country to Nataki Garrett, who was the uh, artistic director at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival for a short time. Um, it's just fabulous, fabulous interviews. And I keep going. We asked these people and every single person said, yes, that part. So that's how that's how it got started, you know, for the future. I, I, we're in a bit of an uncertain place, to be honest with you. Because, you know, it's hard to do things without sponsorship. It's hard to do things without advertisers. And we have resourced uh, this out of our pockets for the last three years. And the future is a little bit indefinite. Just don't know if we can continue to do it. But it sure is a lot of fun because we both like to talk. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And you said Nataki Garrett. And I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That name sounds familiar because she did the the last like this last round of like oh, oh, OSF. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Before uh, Tim Bond has now gone back to OSF and is the artistic director. But. Um, Nataki was hired in during the pandemic and, you know, it was a rough go. It was a rough go for her. I believe that, but also like, and this is a shout out to Nataki because I've lived in like the Washington, like Seattle area. I came out here for college starting in, in 2008 and mm -hmm. I'd never been to OSF before, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like that's a whole nother conversation about accessibility and like yeah. what that means. But just seeing everything about this last season that they had just had, I was like, I need to go. I need yeah. to go. I need to see all these shows. And like, they're just phenomenal. Like that she curated a beautiful season, a fantastic job of directing Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And I was just obsessed with everything when I left there. Like, so and when I learned that she was no longer there, I was like, oh, bummer, because I was really excited yeah. to see everything I saw and to learn everything I did about all the beautiful change and beautiful color she put on that stage. Well, here's the thing. I think it's not so different from what had been going on there for a very long time. There's something that happens when a dark skinned black woman comes into play then people start to perceive things differently. So, uh, yeah. And Ashlyn, or I mean, she was a brave soul. Yes. 
to go to nothing again. Well, no, I'm just going to say, you know, the first time I went and drove it into Ashland, I was like, it was nighttime. I was like, oh, where am I? <laughs> it's beautiful. It was lovely. I had a great time, but she was a brave, brave soul to go into that environment at that, you know, with, with all the extenuating circumstances, the pandemic and everything else. Wealthy white donors, things of that, things of that nature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this last question, you've pretty much gone through a lot of what we we're going to ask is what's next for you. And do you have any other projects that, that you want to get off and shoot them off into the space and get them going? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. I don't know if I can take too much more. Um, but what's next and what I'm, what I'm really trying to focus on in 2024 is first of all, staying in my lane, <laughs> staying in my corner, <laughs> you know, that lane drift can get real crazy, but um, I am really focused on uh, strategic planning and growth and sus a sustainable future for Art Noir. Um, and that applies both to the editorial and to the physical location and see what's, what may, more might be out there for this entity. You know, I uh, want us to be in a position where when opportunity comes along, we're ready to be able to avail ourselves of the right opportunities. So that's where I'm really, really hyper-focused is, you know, fundraising as a part of that, but also being very strategic about our business plan and our future strategy. So that's, that's what's, that's what's on my mind. And, you know, whatever else comes along that I can't say no to. <laughs> I have a hard time saying no. Well, I think that the growth of Art Noir is going to be uh, wonderful. And it, it's, it seems as though it's the ground level of all of the, how, how, what metaphor am I going to use? The seeds you've been planting over all the decades of the arts work you've been doing in Seattle and a place to have those seedlings come up and that you can nurture them. Just like yeah. you said, you're nurturing your business plan, you're nurturing, but you're also nurturing all these other souls these young souls and, and people who are going to support you, but you're nurturing them too. So I think that it's it's very exciting. I find Art Noir very exciting. And and like I said, I've only been in there three times, but now after doing this with you today, I'm going to just hang out. Back. In yes, ma'am. We have two big <laughs> Huey P. Newton chairs in there for you to sit in and just chill. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I came in the, the day I came in with a friend of mine, a we, I sat in the chair and she took a picture. Yes, yes, absolutely. We also have a children's corner, you know, which is really important. Um, the kids can come in and feel comfortable. I, I don't like, you know, being in environments where it's like, ah, you can't. Only thing we don't like is big dogs with long tails. <laughs> yes. You have too many things on the shelves exactly. that can get knocked off. Exactly. But we are dog friendly. Um we have a we have a, a mascot, Shaka. Shaka Fawn is our mascot. Um, but one thing I do want to plug, if I can, is the upcoming exhibit, um, which is uh, the first solo. Yeah, it's our first solo artist exhibit. And it opens on January 17th and runs through May 15th. And it is Aramis Hamer. 
Yes, Aramis Hamer. And it's called Once Upon a Space Time. And I have to read this because I want to get it right. This uh, exhibit is described as a cosmic odyssey where the celestial dance of femininity, blackness, inner enlightenment, and all of creation unfold. This collection of ethereal artworks by Aramis Hamer transcends the boundaries of time and space to explore the interconnected narratives of strength, grace, and spiritual elevation. Now, I had to do that. And one of the reasons that I had to do it is because I needed to give Aramis the space, the time, and the inflections that she deserves. The other thing that's really important to me about this uh, exhibit is that Aramis worked with me on the art plan for Midtown Square. So it's like this full circle moment where um, we're mounting a solo exhibit for her. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. That is beautiful. We'll be there. Kiki and I will actually be visiting on the 27th. So we'll get to see Aramis's uh, exhibit. Perfect. What's the na- the name of the exhibit again? Once Upon a Space Time. Once Upon a Space Time. I love that. Yes. I'm a comic book nerd. So that just lit up all my bells and whistles. <laughs> Seeing blackness in the future. I mean, they call it Afrofuturism, right? <laughs> but just, you know, in plain lay terms. We see ourselves in the future. We know a lot of most people don't, but we do. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, y'all not looking too too far in the future, Nate, because there's certainly a lot of brown mm-hmm. for the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's gonna be <laughs> mostly <laughs> brown in the future. I'm saying. <laughs> the rain other folks are going to destroy themselves. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, for your interest, your energy, your airwaves. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, wonderful chatting with you. I learned so much. And I'm so stoked now. Like, I, I was wondering what was next at the um, for the exhibit. So this will be exciting. Lovely. I checked out some of the pictures today when I was looking. I like her stuff. It's so bright yeah. and so vivid. It's really Oh my gosh, I thought, oh my gosh, I gotta come see yeah, this. Yeah, Because <laughs> it's beautiful. And make, you yeah. know, uh, put Midtown Square on your list of places to go and hang out. You know, the square, the public square is really very, very cool. Um, and um, one of the better parts about it is the fact that Art Noir actually programs the square. So you get to to experience some of that creative energy on the outside as well that has our our trademark attached to it. Well, now that you have that more of the stores uh, places that are open too. When I came, a lot of the other tenants weren't open yet, and I know that the salons open now, oh, yeah. and uh, there's restaurants that are open in there now that weren't open when I checked it out last. So. Um, yeah, I, I'm definitely coming. Back. Come on down, <laughs> now that mi- honey. Yeah. Jerk Shack yeah. is open and cooking and just wearing out all of my diet plans every time I go over there. <laughs> um, I believe it. I've been looking for Caribbean food so Oh, hard. my God. And, it's and wing spots. So I'm, good. I'm gonna, 
in a deficit out here. It's so good. It is so good. So, so good. And the neighbor lady. The, the neighbor, neighbor lady, lady has a place again. Yes, yeah. yes. A good bar. Um, yeah. And then I don't know if you are aware of the fact that Marjorie Restaurant that was located on 14th and Union, Donna Moody. Yeah, it went it away. Closed, yeah. Uh, because she will be reopening Marjorie 3.0 at Midtown. Ha <laughs> ha. Yay. Because yep. I went to Marjorie when she was in Belltown yes, yeah. the first time. Yeah. And then a few times I went, she, her price points are a little too high for most of the time. But I had been to her on four, and then I drove by and she wasn't there anymore. It was the Ulan. I'm like, what happened to Marjorie? She's come to join our family at 23rd yes. Union. Yeah. It's going to be a hot spot this summer. It was wonderful this past summer, spring and summer. So I can only imagine that it's going to be like three on steroids, <laughs> you know. You're going to have more music and stuff in the square yeah. again, right? Are you going to program yeah. more music in? Yeah. The- yes. Music, yes. dance. Um, there was, <laughs> there were twerk classes. There, <laughs> I miss those. I figured, you know, I think I know how to do that. Or I should never do that. Um, there was African dance. There were poetry readings. There was double Dutch. There was... Just, uh, you know, markets, uh, food, clothes, art markets, all kind of cool stuff. So that'll be happening again. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today, Vivian. We greatly appreciate it. Yeah, no, totally. We're just contemplating other ways that we could um, just interact and, like, collaborate in some capacity. We're all currently working on, like, a summer fest, summer music and storytelling event for the um in august so we'll be definitely reaching out for that and i've i've just started working with a company called living voices for a show called right to and i would love to email you about that because like long story short they need somewhere for me to preview this solo performance piece and i'm like i don't know but i'm like hey if you guys got the space and just want someone to show up and and do a thing so i would love to reach out and just be another another participant another voice Living Voices has been a part of my existence. And I think both my daughters were in productions at some point. I mean, what? It's just an amazing, amazing storytelling format. I love it so much. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. It's my first dive into it. And it was bringing up a lot for me when you were talking about the oral history and oral storytelling. I was like, wow, another reason why I do all the beautiful like work and try to participate in what I can. So, so powerful. Yeah. And and I'm just so glad too to make these connections because I work at Spectrum, have been there for a long time and I'm trying to get mirror stage Spectrum and all of us connected. And that piece that you talked about, all of us not working in our little isolated, you know, places and we should be supporting each other. Um, I really, you know, I've talked to Stephanie and, and I know Sharon's there now as interim. And I really want to pull those things together so that, you know, Mirror Stage is connected because that our missions with Spectrum and what you're doing, they're all very con- interconnected. Right. And they shouldn't be in these little separate spaces. Absolutely. So um, nice. Yeah. I know. It, yeah, I was going to say, you know, I just had lunch with Donald Byrd. And of course, he talked me into doing something else. So. I cannot say no to Mr. Bird. I just can't do it. Well, maybe. 
All right, good people. Love you much. I got to go make some dinner. Yes, yes, please do. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you. Same to you both. Oh, not both. All of you. (laughs) All four of us. All four of you. Yeah. (laughs) Take good care. This was lovely. Thank you again. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to support it and other Mirror Stage programming, you can make a tax-deductible donation via our website, mirrorstage.org, or text Play It Smart to 206-888-6477. That's 206-888-MIRR. That was, that was great. Vivian was great. I love her. I want to be her i want to do everything <laughs> she's doing i want to go i can't wait i'm just so excited for yeah. and we can finally like see art noir in action yeah, i mean you same. guys are really gonna love it i mean like i said when i last time i went there were everything wasn't all connected like the hair salon wasn't open and some of the other businesses um so I'm, I haven't been there and I missed that last exhibit because I was getting done with surgery. So, um, but I looked up the woman that's coming for the solo exhibit and her, her pieces are really wonderful and uh, um, imaginative and, and just vibrant. The colors are amazing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I would really, it would really be great um, if we could make some kind of connection there. Um, the performance space square. I think when you two see it, you'll see the um, possibilities. Yeah. Uh, Andy, performing. You're there. not coming with us on the 27th. I thought you were coming. No, I'm coming. Okay. But no, she's, I said but she's been there before. Yeah. So. No, no, no. That's fair. I was just like, I didn't know if I missed that. <laughs> no, because you said. Too, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. No, and and that you wanted to go to Spectrum afterwards. You yes. Know, take drive down there and yeah, see the park and everything. Yeah. Hopefully it won't be like just like frozen like ice cubes on, on the twenty seventh. You know, <laughs> like all of those is really to be determining if I am actually even going to be able to get up to Seattle with the snow and stuff like that. But we'll be in contact before then, right? For sure. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to be bad this weekend, but maybe it won't be that weekend. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. But our yeah. noir just sounds like it. Just imagine a place where. Like, I'm just thinking for myself, because listeners, if you haven't seen me, I have long dreadlocks. So I could go get my hair done, then go hit the studio all in the same place, buy art and check out an art exhibit all in this, like, one area. And it's all, you know, like, for Black creatives, by Black creatives, for the culture. Like, that just sounds anywhere not even just like for seattle if i was in atlanta and had a space like this it would still be like an incredible space to be so i'm very excited for what it's gonna bring to the community well when she said they're opening up a recording studio i just about went you know i was like wow you know there's gonna be a studio within my walking distance of my house (laughs) you know that dan and i can go play in if we wanted to and not have to worry about our own home studio being too crowded <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. so yeah wow yeah i also love the history lesson uh that she gave about like with the world's fair because only time i've ever read anything about the world's fair is going to the space needle where they have the little uh little cards where you you wait in line and you read about it 
But uh, it's cool to know that like that started a whole creative explosion in Seattle. And then just hearing about like the roller coaster ride that the arts community has had since that um that World's Fair and where it's at now. Um it just it was a, a great history lesson um for me as an outsider. Um, but I also saw she mentioned the doors open legislation and I saw you uh dropped a note about that, Kiki. Do either of y'all know anything about what that is? I don't, but I want to say I will I'll shout it out in the call to action for people to look up because as soon as she said it, I was like, wait, what is this? And I was really interested. Um, but yeah, it's a big it's a legislation that just passed that's gonna uh, provide about $80 million um, for access to science, heritage, and arts in King County over the next seven years. But I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, right? For you, little one. You. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, while Ty is getting situated. Yeah, is there anything else you wanted to share about thoughts from the interview, Angie? Outside of just being so excited for this art exhibit? Well, for me, it was... um. I mean, I've known of Vivian. I've known her as um, uh, an art supporter, somebody on the arts commissions. I'd see her at the Spectrum things and she'd do uh, interviews and uh, such with Donald after shows. She's always been a person who you see uh, giving, you know, curtain speeches and those kinds of things. And um, I know she was a friend with one of the directors I've worked with over the years, but I didn't really know her at all. So to go into the um do my homework before this interview and read more about her and then go into art noir and see her interviews um her editorial work and read some of those and go down the rabbit hole i was just very um impressed with how she has grounded herself in the arts in this town and how she's been foundational in a, a lot of the things that have happened here um i give her her Props for that. Uh, I very I respect that a lot, and also did not realize that she was a child of Seattle. I assumed she had been a transplant, like a lot of the rest of us in the arts here. So that was interesting, and to know that she still lives within five blocks of Art Noir, where she grew up. I mean, I can't imagine wanting to stay in Athens, Georgia. I needed to get out of there. So when you asked her what made her stay, I was like, Yeah, how many people actually stay in their hometowns? But a lot of what she said about her hometown is one of the reasons I like being here, too. I mean, um, weeks go by when in the winter when I wonder why I'm here. But then when you see the mountain comes out and, the you know, and the beautiful sunset and you go, oh, that's why I work here. And when you see Madrona Park, where I go to work three days a week, when I get out of my car at Madrona Park and look out over the lake, it's just like, Man, it's beautiful here. So I can really understand her great love of the geography of the area, the greenness, the, 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 <laughs> I don't like the wetness all the time, but it does make everything green. Um, so in some ways, it, it reminds me of Athens in that there's a lot of, you know, pine trees. There's a lot of greenery there also because we have a lot of trees that aren't deciduous also, but, um, it's not quite as lush as Seattle by a long shot. No mountains <laughs> either. No, no, real no mountains, mountains either. <laughs> <laughs> no. You have to go way north Georgia to the end of the Appalachian Trail to get any mountains. So, yeah. 
yeah it was it was just an incredible interview and what she said about her father too really um really kind of struck me because i've never really heard of a genealogy museum where you can go and like look up your family's history and stuff like that that's definitely something i would have tried to do i like it's like past my grandmother or my great-grandmother i don't know anything about my family or my heritage um so it's just interesting to see that she was able to like look up her father's heritage and see like the whole tree that's pretty cool yeah i mean that's unusual because of you know uh the slavery situation in this country you know you you can only research so far back and then everything drops off a cliff unless you are able to find um wills where you can find people who are willed your relatives that listed as objects and can figure out who they were, it's very difficult to, to trace it. Um, so, yeah. Even with ancestry, with DNA, uh, you can get back so far, but then sometimes it, it, you can't go any further. So that's just the way it is. And they get hacked and that's a whole thing now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> everybody gets hacked <laughs> it makes you afraid to do anything with your information <laughs> yeah. all right well our call to actions i think we're ready for those okay well our first call to action you can start by visiting artnoir.org and check out the once upon a space time exhibit uh, coming January 17th, and it'll run to May 15th. And if you're there on the 27th, you may run into Kiki and I and Angie. Well, I think you should bring Cece, but that was just my own thing. As soon as she was like, it's children's tomorrow. <laughs> Actually, Cece probably will be with me. So the four of us, you may run into the four of us if you're there on the 27th, oh, listeners. Don't touch my daughter. <laughs> Um, and our other call to action is to check out www.doubleexposurepod.com and you can hear uh, Vivian and Marcy Silman, who used to be on KUOW as an arts, um, uh, what do you call her, an arts editor, commentator, do interviews with people from all over the country in different um, parts of the arts world. Um, so I haven't listened to it yet, but I'm going to now. It sounds very, very interesting. Vivian really made it sound great. So please support www.doubleexposurepod.com. Might be on this whatever streaming platform you're listening on outside of <laughs> smearstage.org. But um, it might yeah. be on like Spotify, stuff like that too. Yeah, okay. it's on Spotify. I can confirm that it's at least on Spotify. Nice. But you can also go to their website and they have it available to stream there as well. Yes, and then you can see all the pictures. That's what I need. When I yes. listen to podcasts, I'm always like, who are these people? Tell them I need to I need to look up what they look like. Tell right. me what who's talking to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then our last call to action is to just check out the open the doors open legislation that was discussed today. So I have a I'll have a news article in our show notes. Um, but you could easily just type in doors open legislation Washington and it'll give you more information. But the idea behind it is that science, heritage, and arts uh, will have uh, equitable funding um, and will help support these arts programs in public schools. And the idea is to increase tourism revenue and to uh, feed the workforce pipeline to the arts and the culture sector. 
Um, and that's just really important because like Seattle arts is a really big thing. And so just uh, always like we were talking about in this interview, putting money into the arts and getting that like putting money in the arts where they need to go, where they are needed to get these voices out is really important. So this is just another way that we out here are trying to make that happen. And so with that, I want to say thank you all so much for listening. We're looking forward to chatting more with you all soon. Be on the lookout for our next episode, Ty and Kiki Take On, uh, where we'll be paying a visit to Art Noir. So until then, share this episode with your friends and let's keep this conversation about Black arts going. Take care, Seattle. And sweet dreams, Seattle. This program is supported in part by a grant from the Washington State Arts Commission and the National Endowment of the Arts. We would like to acknowledge that we are on the traditional land of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish and Coast Salish people, past and present, and honor with gratitude the land itself and the Duwamish and Coast Salish tribes. If you like what you've heard and would like to support this podcast or other Mirror Stage programming, you can donate at our website, mirrorstage.org, or text Play It Smart to 206 Thank you everyone for listening. This podcast is available on Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So if you are finding us on any of those platforms, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe if possible.